0: We'll rewind the tape to the beginning of the great Bud Light boycott of 2023. How did we get here and what is the point? Then the IRS has been busy doing some things you'll like and some things you probably won't. We'll catch you up. And finally, just when you thought college admissions could not get any worse, we'll clue you in on a new practice that's sure to get your blood boiling. All of that and more on The Lost Debate, a show for political eclectics. Hello, everybody. I'm Ravi
1: Gupta. And I'm Ricky Schlott.
0: Well, Ricky, we got this debt ceiling fight raging on. Biden said something interesting on Sunday. He said that he basically could invoke the 14th Amendment if he wanted to. Janet Yellen seems a little bit cooler to that idea. What do you think happens here? It looks like we've got a couple of days before the U.S. basically runs out of money.
1: I do think that June 1st is the worst case scenario. I've heard some people saying like maybe it'll be more akin to a government shutdown if that were to happen. I'm not entirely sure, but I think this is a lot of panic and ultimately there will be some sort of concession somewhere. Um, but even if we did make a compromise in the immediate future, June 1st is very, very close if that's an accurate time frame. And it still has to pass Congress, which would take time as well. So... I'm not really sure what to expect, but Bernie Sanders is in favor of the 14th Amendment. Um he says it's no one no one's happy about it, but it beats where we are right now. I'm not sure. I think it 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 doesn't seem like Yellen's on board though, so
0: yeah, here's what she said. She says it doesn't seem like something that could be appropriately used in these circumstances, given the legal uncertainty around it and the tight time frame we're on. Biden himself said that the legal uncertainty is, is a reason why it's probably not his top choice right now, because it just gets yeah. appealed to the Supreme Court. And what if they say he can't do it? Then we're back to square one, except we've lost a couple of days. So I think they're trying to do everything they possibly can to come up with a deal. McCarthy and Biden met yesterday. It looks like they'll probably meet again today or tomorrow. Biden you know, came back from his trip to Asia. Let's just hope something happens here. We don't need more chaos. Agreed. I've been following this Bud Light boycott Ricky for a while, and we're gonna do start a new segment that we're calling slow takes here on the Lost Debate Show. And essentially what we're doing is we wanna give certain controversial issues a little bit of time to breathe and play out in, you know, the public. And then we want to revisit them and explain to you, dear listener, what happened and why it happened and make some meaning from it with a little bit of hindsight and a little bit of distance from the emotions of the moment. And we could not have picked a better (laughs) issue to start with. This Bud Light Boycott, Ricky, catch us up. What's going on here?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to start Completely plagiarizing Jennifer Maloney of the Wall Street Journal's opening because I thought it was Great very piece, clever. By the way. Great piece. Which she she juxtaposes the um, the original brewery in St. Paul that's been there since the 1850s, where you can still see Budweiser's Clydesdale horses, and visitors can get Eagle T-shirts from the gift shop with the Chelsea Sleek high-rise building in which uh, Budweiser's marketing department. Is and the thousand miles between that origin and that sort of new new engine, perhaps that's propelling this beer company forward. Um, it's the number one beer company, but it's been fighting declining sales. And post pandemic, they increased their marketing budget fivefold. And part of their new efforts to try to reinvigorate sales with different audiences, particularly younger and female. Uh, audiences. They hired and their first female head of marketing, Alyssa Heinerscheid. I hope. <laughs> um, Sounds And right. she, and she was pretty open for um for a while. No one really, I don't think, had paid much attention to her. But on some podcasts, she'd said things along the lines of, I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light. It was a brand in decline. It had been in decline for a really long time. And if we don't attract young drinkers for this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. She'd also described their branding as fratty and sort of out of touch. Um, And so Budweiser then kind of is following into this different model of how do we get younger people? How do we get more female audiences? And they ended up sending a personalized can of Bud Light to Dylan Mulvaney in April. But before they'd done that, they'd done. And who's Dylan Mulvaney
0: for the audience?
1: Dylan Mulvaney is a, recent rock star and influencer world um, who transitioned from male to female, I guess, er, April of last year and started documenting day one of being a girl, day one of being or day two of being a girl on TikTok and has become like interviewed Joe Biden, um, gets huge brand deals. It's a little bit crazy. And so people are not necessarily the biggest fan of hers. Um, For reasons like For example this let's just play Her first day of of girlhood to give you a sense Of the kind of content
2: Day one of being a girl And I have already cried three times I wrote a scathing email that I Did not send I ordered dresses Online that I couldn't afford and then uh, When someone asked me how I was I said I'm fine when I wasn't Fine How'd I do ladies Good Girl
1: power. At least for me personally, I I'm very live and let live, and I don't care. But these are very gross generalizations about what womanhood is, and I think that some people bristled at the idea of being told what womanhood should be in that sort of context. Um, with pretty egregious stereotypes, in my opinion. But, anyways, so Bud Light. I'm enjoying, sends,
0: I'm, I'm really enjoying watching you watch walk a tightrope on this segment. <laughs> From afar. I'm not walking a tightrope. Uh, oh, no, I have, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. You <laughs> yeah. asked me for the timeline.
1: Careful. Um, careful, Ricky. Oh, I'm not. I'm not.
0: No, no I'm kidding. Uh, keep I don't going. going. I've, when keep have going. I ever cared about no, any no, sort I, of I'm actually messing with you. I, I just
1: off of them all I'm, the time.
0: I'm messing with you. I think to <laughs> recap, because I know that we got a lot of listeners on the left like me who... Here, here's what I'm hearing you say. No problem at all with trans people. You believe in trans rights. Uh, I probably have different interpretations of what that means, probably, and a lot of us do. But you can you could believe in trans rights and have some serious issues with the video that we just played. That's my position. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's certainly where I am. Um, That's my position too. Should matter, except for the fact that Bud Light set Dylan Mulvaney a personalized can, and she on the anniversary of
1: her of her gender transition on April 1st in celebration of it.
0: And so let's go to that clip. Uh, And this is what started the entire mess that we're in right now.
1: Hi. Impressive
2: carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Check out my Instagram story to see how you can enjoy March Madness with Bud Light and maybe win some money too. Love ya. Cheers. Go team. Whatever team you love, I love too. Okay. Love ya. Okay, break a leg.
0: Woo. All right, so to recap, Bud Light has a new marketing executive, and as you know, basically wants to take on the fratty sort of brand of Bud Light and Budweiser, and somehow uh, they send Dylan Mulvaney, who is a controversial figure uh, and a trans person, sends Dylan Mulvaney a personalized can of Bud Light. Dylan Mulvaney posts it. How do people react to that, Ricky?
1: Well, I think even before we get there, it's important to note that this is not like some completely out of the blue thing from them. And there have not been boycotts in the wake of them supporting LGBT groups for decades, including Pride events, um, making Pride Month pronoun cans in uh, Canada for Pride Month. Um, In February, Dylan Mulvaney did a Bud Light post and she was also included in a March Madness promotion before this video. So it's not people have not exploded in the same way that something about this specific clip really hit a nerve. Um, There was some misunderstanding in some people who thought it was a TV commercial or thought that the can was in sale or for sale in certain stores, but this was literally a single can. And it definitely, there were some culture war excesses, to say the least, in response. Kid Rock posted a video shooting cases of Bud Light with a gun. Travis Tritt, a country singer, stopped including it in, its, in his tour. Wholesaler truck drivers were confronted in the streets by angry people like that just weren't even working for Bud Light, but happened to be driving a truck with their logo on it. There were bomb threats at wholesaler locations, and things definitely devolved, I would say.
0: And yeah, let's go to this clip from Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire. Uh, this, was his, this was his take on, on basically, it's a call to action for his audience.
3: And that's how we got to this point in the first place, where transgenderism is the sort of thing that even Bud Light feels it needs to promote. Th- that's how the total denial of biological reality became man- mainstream and seized hold of our society. It happened because the conservative, quote-unquote, leadership tasked with defending our country against evils like gender ideology, abdicated their responsibility. They gave up without putting up even the semblance of a struggle. They left it to the rest of us to fight this battle, and so so we are. You're asleep, we're taking the wheel. It's that simple. And we don't care about Republican donors. Okay, the Republican donors are as worthless as the Republicans they donate to. So I don't give a damn about them. And you could scoff all you want, right? But this boycott matters, it does. It matters because it's obviously not just about one beer company. It's about making a statement. It's about achieving a victory for truth and sanity. It's about doing the things that you people won't do. So step aside and let us handle it. Okay, we'll we'll do everything. You'll do nothing. And then later on, when we get the win... You can run campaign ads pretending that you did something, as always. And that's fine. I don't even care about that. I just want the win. That's all that matters.
0: All right, so that's Matt Walsh. And basically, Matt Walsh and other figures on the right called for a boycott of Bud Light. And... it largely worked. So Bud Light sales yeah. began dropping in the first week of April and kept falling for more than a month. The boycott has hurt other beers within their portfolio and their competitors are up. So Miller Light, Coors Light are up 17% and 15%. Um, you know, by the second week of May, Bud Light volumes are down more than 28% compared to last year. And the company just did not help matter as much. There are people on the left mm-hmm. and on the right who have some issues here and The partially because the company has been kind of spineless about this. Like, my feeling about it is uh, either defend what you did or Mm -hmm. explain to somebody like that this was some kind of mistake or something. Clearly, I have my opinion about how they should do that, but basically, they said. Um, They stayed silent for more than two weeks and they released a general statement about this, about bringing people together. They started releasing like patriotic ads Um, and then they put on leave the marketing person that you talked about and her boss. Uh, Mm -hmm. So now there are people on the left who are upset about this. And part of what I'm a little bit confused about genuinely is what's the problem with this marketing campaign? Like is the problem... This is the question I have for the Matt Walsh's of the world is, do you just not want trans people to exist? Because like this is not like a huge promotional campaign. They basically were treating dilemma of any, whether you like it or not, whether you think that, that video that we put, posted earlier was silly or not, or leaning into stereotypes of women or not. Put that all aside and say, this was basically sending one can, personalized can, to somebody than treating like th- them like any other influencer they probably treat them like. And like what I'm hearing Matt Wall say is, in trying to boycott Bud Light, they're trying to send a message that no company ever works with a trans person in marketing ever again. That seems to be the precedent that they're trying to set. And that, that to me, feels very wrong. No matter whether I like Dylan Mulvaney as a representative or not of the trans community, it's not my decision to make that seems to be a very chilling message to send to trans people. And I can't get behind that.
1: Well, I I wouldn't go as far as to say that there's like the hyperbolic, like they're saying trans people shouldn't exist. Um, I mean, I do think it's notable that there were prior posts that Dylan Lovaney made with Bud Light and that this one sparked a certain kind of outrage. Um, I mean, the most charitable explanation that I can come up with is that it's celebrating the anniversary of her gender transition and people are offended by the way in which she's documented it um but I I mean I if it reminds me of the goya boy, boycotts in 2016 when their executives were outed as Trump supporters and you know this it, it's a very unhelpful tactic. I agree that there's nothing like beneficial in saying that trans trans, influencers should never be worked with at all whatsoever. Actually, um, Dana Kennedy at the New York Post, who's on uh, my team, she recently had an article about how it is already harder for trans influencers to get deals. So, I I mean, I think there's definitely a, a line that you can kind of balance on in saying that, oh, I'm I might not like Dylan Mulvaney's specific depiction of womanhood, or I might take offense to that, or... I might not support the campaign, but I don't, I mean, I also just don't think the boycott is, is helpful, but it's certainly been like remarkably and unusually lasting. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. down 28% over last year, just um in, in this month. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not helpful. It's not good.
0: They're having to like massively increase their their marketing budget, they're buying back uh, Bud Light that's being spoiled on yeah. the shelves. Uh, but, you know, in, in this question of like, what's the purpose of all of this? I, I really have questions for our colleagues over there at the Daily Wire because it's part of a larger campaign that they have around representation in general. And I think it's one thing to debate. Matt Walsh has been. Debating a whole bunch of trans issues for a long time now. And I think you could separate out certain debates about, you know, kids and surgeries and when kids transition and how we treat it in schools and all that and have legitimate debates about that kind of stuff. But it seems like he and others over at the Daily Wire don't want to stop there. They want to push people who are trans, and not just trans people, but other members of the LGBTQ community out of the public square. Like, I wanna, I wanna play us a clip from Ben Shapiro talking about Frozen, which I think gets to just how far they wanna go in sending a chilling message to gay people generally in American society. Disney has been on the retreat socially since people decided they don't wish to invest in their product. We'll see if Disney continues to double down. The great suspicion is that in Frozen 4, they'll make Elsa a lesbian. By the way, if they do that, it is the end of Disney as as a company. Predict it. You can write it down. It is April 17th. If they do that in Frozen 4, they'll destroy Disney. Like, thoroughly destroy it. There hasn't been a Frozen 3, but that's not the most important part of what he just said. He's saying that having a gay character in a movie is a reason to criticize Disney. He's basically saying they won't exist. I mean, it's hyper—you know—it's hyperbolic, obviously, but you take the hyperbole seriously in a company that has called for a boycott of another major company, and it's been successful. And so when I hear things like, hey, if there's a gay character in a Disney movie, then that's wrong, I'm like, well, now you're trying to erase. Identities from pop culture. And then it starts to be something, it, it starts to move from something that's silly to something that's really dark and dangerous.
1: I definitely am not in the camp that there can't be gay characters in anything. I think it's up to parents to decide whether or not their children are going to consume any given whatever. And I'm never really on the boycott side. I'm not a cancel culture kind of person. But I would say, I mean, there is a. Like I feel like we're kinda talking about the most hyperbolic reactions to the Dylan Mulvaney situation, but there is a more just like level headed rejection among some people who are maybe are not as forceful and saying, like, I'm just not into the like any any political divisive political issue being pushed down my throat by a, a marketing campaign. And like you you can't deny if you watch commercials on TV that there's a considerable left tilt to what you see. I mean, you've I've never sat and like watched a commercial and heard some sort of right wing talking point in it at all. Like that's just not if if there were the flip side, it would it would not fly and that it, the Mars exact same Bush, thing would happen. Says-
0: You know, cowboys, you know, riding horses and country music and waving American flags, which is great. I love country music. But when you look at, Ricky, when you watch any of these things, they are sending messages, right? They're sending messages with American flags. They're sending cowboys. And, you know, they're, you know, up until recently, you know, and basically around the time you were born. They were basically way over representation of white, straight people in everything you see. It's not, I'm Hollywood, not talking about that. I'm not talking about representations. Kind of
1: I'm talking about political stances. Robbie, genuinely, for every Black Lives Matter oriented campaign or pride oriented campaign that, that companies do, which is completely within their rights, but for, I mean, imagine if Bud Light did a Blue Lives Matter campaign. That would be like, it would end their corporation. Like I, there's just no, there's there's no argument to be had that there's not a more of an incentive to tack left in political campaigns. But I'm, my only point being, I just don't think that, I don't I don't care, it's their right, but I just don't think that corporations should be political. It shouldn't, I, it just, it feels like, and I think that there's a growing frustration among conservatives that, Half of this country is right-leaning, and it feels as though they're—that's not acknowledged in in marketing campaigns that's at all, a whole whatsoever. Different but to my opinion,
0: that's a whole different debate. That's a different so? debate. Because what we're do- talking about here, when he talks about frozen, when he talks, I'm not. I'm
1: not talking about. I'm not talking about
0: Shapiro. We've diverted but, off but of but when the. But he talks and, about. But I'm talking about Matt Walsh. He's talking about representation, not the points that Dylan Mulvaney. I know, making. and
1: I'm saying that there are people who are. You pulled the most hyperbolic reactions to this. I'm saying that there's people like me who who bristle at the fact that it feels as though. Marketing campaigns are left leaning in general. And yeah. we would just rather not even, like, I just don't think that commercials should be political. And I don't think that doing I'm something that's that. clearly going to alienate the base of people who, like, I'm sorry, but like, yeah, beer's fratty and that should be fine. And like, we don't have to lean into it entirely, but like, it's pretty, it's pretty foreseeable that this is going to alienate people. And I think that that's, I'm I'm not, I'm saying that we're looking at Shapiro and then we're looking at someone like me who might kind of raise an eyebrow at this campaign with a more reasonable take is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I hear you, but like, it's not. I don't even all the marketing comments aside from this executive. I don't think it was as purposeful as people think it is. Like a good example, no, I don't think so either. Like you know, I host this other podcast where we have a lot of advertising, and my my entire apartment is filled with stuff that the advertisers send me. My couch is from Allform. Mm-hmm. I'm giving them free advertising here, by the way. My plants are from a plant company that they sent me. Literally, every the Athletic Greens I drank this morning came from them. Now, if I post on Instagram drinking Athletic Greens or sitting on my Allform couch, Athletic Greens aside because I know those people pretty well, but most of those companies have no idea who I am. They send me stuff. They, they have no idea what my other videos said or what my politics are or anything like that. And... And from what I can tell, I, I don't think this was that purposeful. And even if it was, no, I don't think so either. Like, I treat representation differently than the ideas. And I think where you and I agree is like, I, I definitely do not need our corporations lecturing us on ethics, especially since a lot of these corporations do things like run sweatshops in authoritarian mm-hmm. countries and you know pay off dictators so that they can do business in other places, et cetera. Like, I hear you, and then they turn around and also they donate money to. Right-wing figures and left-wing figures to keep everybody happy, and so behind the scenes, they're like they're totally apolitical and they're ruthless. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they on the screen they they want to play like they're progressive, et cetera. I hear you on all that kind of stuff, but I just think that that's not what this is. And I could see I could see that people are tapping into that, right? Like when Matt Walsh is going going. I don't after- agree. Like
1: I mean, if you listen to like Megyn Kelly and other mainstream conservatives who are responding to this, like sh- it's. She's saying what I'm saying, essentially. I mean, it's not about erasing a group of people. You could just take issue with the marketing campaign, but I agree. Like it, I mean, even from within Bud Light, they're saying that there was a lack of oversight with executives in sending this. And I, I don't think. I mean, it's literally one small campaign in much a much larger company, and they've done similar pride oriented campaigns without issue in the past. Like, I just think this was one of those things where people's buttons were pushed one too many times and they completely overreacted. Like, I'm not saying that people did not completely overreact to the fact that this is a single can. But I'm also saying that there's um, like a broader background of people just feeling like they've been lectured by these corporations forever. And this was the thing that just pushed them over the edge. I don't think it's appropriate. I was against the boycotts of Goya. I'm against boycotting and canceling in general. But I would say that there's It's interesting to me to see that Miller Lite now has added into the kind of political campaigns. My suspicion is this came out on March 7th. So my suspicion is that they were not really prepared for the similar kind of or what would happen at Bud Light and that maybe something similar is going to happen now that this is going viral.
2: Here's a little known fact. Women were among the very first to brew beer ever. From Mesopotamia to the Middle Ages to Colonial America, women were the ones doing the brewing. Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis. Wow. Look at this Wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their but the whole beer industry's Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this shit and buying it back so that they can turn it into good shit for women brewers. Literally, good. Shit.
0: Ricky, what the hell was that? Like, what? What? what's the <laughs> composting have to do with the women's rights? I think the that they're saying
1: thing? that they're reclaiming these old um, posters. Like, you can send in their old marketing posters and stuff that have women in bikinis, and then they'll compost them so that women can use the soil to grow. Beer, Cobbs, is that it? I have no idea. But anyways, hmm. I, this one I have—I actually am way more triggered by this one. But, I have to say, what's
0: funny is, what <laughs> the thing is, the the beneficiaries of the Great Bud Light Boycott of 2023 are the very people who made that ad because no, their I, sales are up. So this is up. going viral <laughs> this is recently, this is and, the and now craziest there's craziest boycott. No, but now there's a
1: new. Now there's new. um calls to boycott Miller Lite as well which People I mean I'm not behind beer. but you know this is this only just recently went viral but this one I'm like I have a much hotter takes about this commercial but I think this gets to the general like way that people are fed up with these commercials besides Dylan Mulvaney or whatever like the idea that Miller Lite is somehow empowering me as a woman and I should feel very oppressed by the fact that they had hot women in bikinis taking photos before I was even born who were getting paid to be there who looked great and had every right to participate in that way that I'm supposed to somehow be empowered by this woman saying shit like 50 times in a commercial and Mm -hmm. taking beer back for me as a woman and that I'm Thank so them. that my Just that my identity is so feeble that my sense of security is so feeble that I am going to go out and now patron these <laughs> these completely cynical corporations because now they've empowered me as a woman with their bullshit pandering. I am so triggered by this sort of commercial. I hate You're it. Triggered. I triggered. hate it. I'm
0: triggered. Uh, well, okay. I, I I sound so lame when I say this, but there were problems the way we were depicting women that they're pointing out. It's just not an effective way to point it out. Is my take? Like I, I don't, and I'm I don't... not
1: going to start paying them now and buying their beer. Like I'm sorry, all of us are drinking White Claws. We don't want your beer. Oh
0: my god, I'm going to let that one be. Let's move on to tax prep, Ricky. A more exciting topic here. The IRS okay. has been busy. Well, my point
1: being that there are there are frustrating commercial campaigns that are pandering to people, and that's this sort of stuff triggers me.
0: There, these are the beneficiaries. I know that there's another boycott from Miller Light. I doubt it will be as big as the Bud Light one. I'm, most people probably don't even no. know there's a Miller Light boycott going on right now. Uh, but that's what makes these boycotts so silly. It's like somebody got mad at me the other day because I have a blue check mark that I paid for, like a, a person who listens to my sort of more democratic uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted back to them. I'm like, "Hey, like, are you tweeting at me from an iPhone? You know, made by a company that does business with a." You know, genocidal regime in China, <laughs> or from Amazon. You know, you're you lefty who believes in labor rights, for example. Like, what, what? Where do we draw the line here with these boycotts? You know, it's. I think you can both criticize companies, and you can have a point of view. But I think we should reserve our boycotts for the truly egregious behavior. Perhaps, like, you know, looking the other way from genocide. When I don't even, I don't even boycott them. Well, I should probably. Yeah. But. I just think
1: we should just generally as corporations just, just be like, let's not, let's just be apolitical. Let's not alienate people. And we don't need, people are not so insecure in their identities that they're going to start patroning your cynical corporation because you put some rainbow flag on something. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I have plenty of LGBT friends that like roll their eyes at this kind of sense that they're, they somehow need Bud Light to put a flag on, on or even like the like I think Volkswagen I want to say or one of the car producer or car producers had like in Pride Month they changed their profile picture in America but they don't change it in their Saudi Arabian um, Twitter counterpart and like that sort of stuff is just blatant is hypocrisy. Bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, yeah, we're we'll calling go.
0: out we're calling out the you know the BLM thing is funny to me because it's like the same companies that were putting up BLM. Uh, you know, not only look the other way, but sometimes aid and abet authoritarian regimes abroad who are, like, when you talk about police misconduct, like, for real, you know? Yeah. Like, all right, well...
1: Well, our slow take was my hot take, apparently. I guess I... We
0: spent more time on that than I was expecting, but it's good. We did a thorough uh, discussion of the most important issue of the day, which is whether to drink Bud Light. Now let's talk about tax prep. So the IRS has been busy. You've been talking about tax prep for a while now and how expensive it is. And I was like, I can get Ricky to talk about taxes on this mm-hmm. show because this is a big issue for you, Ricky. How expensive yeah, it is I mean, to prepare your taxes in this country?
1: Not a personal issue for me, but you know, in general, I think it's, it's notable that 1.7 billion hours are spent as a country trying to figure out what the hell we owe the government. And $14 and billion
0: a, dollars per year, apparently.
1: I'm a flat taxer and that would make things so much simpler. But But what happened here? Yeah, explain what not, happened here. The IRS yeah. is not doing that. Um there you have their first online tool where you can file or they're they're floating the potential of putting up their first online tool where you can file directly to the agency for free and they're supposed to pilot it early next year. Um, and this was based on a command from the Inflation Reduction Act, which required them to look into an electronic filing system and come back and report their findings of how, how that implementation would work. Um, and it will cost them between $64 million and $249 million annually. And 72% of taxpayers say that they're interested in potentially um, utilizing it. So this would remove the kind of middleman issue of getting some like Intuit or, or TurboTax or something like that to help facilitate the online filing and, you know, catch up to what dozens of other developed countries are doing now for, for tax purposes.
0: Yeah, apparently nine out of 10 people file digitally, which is not super surprising, but it's really hard to do so for free. Basically, you have to pay To pay the government, which is really absurd Mm -hmm. in this country, and you take the complexity of the tax system and and the fact that filing itself is not very easy, these companies are ostensibly supposed to make a free version of their product available, uh, but they make it really hard and complicated to find that. And actually, I think it was TurboTax. It was one of these companies had to pay a huge fine because they were basically upselling poor people. Oh, into Into it. Yeah, they're basically upselling. One hundred and
1: forty-one million dollars uh, recently for deceiving people into paying for things that should have been free. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is crazy. You've got to pay to pay in this country. So you know, I know that you know people like to beat up on the IRS, but I think this is a really positive development, and I hope it takes off. Uh, There are some credits to Congress,
1: though, for requiring this. It wasn't even because the IRS just wanted to do it. It's part of the Inflation Reduction Act, which good.
0: Yeah, and this has been a debate going back before you we were born, Ricky. Actually, George W. Bush tried to do this, but the tax prep business pushed back against him. And, you know, Intuit's, oh, it was TurboTax. I guess Intuit is the parent company of TurboTax. They were the main lobbyists against uh, that change. And you could see there are people in Congress and lobbyists who hate this. The industry themselves. So, Intuit said in a statement, that the irs slated proposal quote is a solution in search of a problem and that solution will unnecessarily cost taxpayers billions of dollars and quote it's a solution in search of a problem that's funny <laughs> to me like like i think the fact that people have to pay 14 billion dollars a year to pay the government you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a problem and i'm glad that congress is on it
1: yeah, the industry is basically saying that there's a conflict of interest by serving the tax collector and the preparer via the service, which doesn't really make much sense to me because the tax collector and the preparer should kind of all be on the same team if it's just us paying the government to exist in this country and do right. business. Um, but, you know, my counter to them, like I... If if you're a free market alternative and you're so great, I mean, we know how the DMV works. We know that everything that the government does usually sucks and that this will probably have server errors and it'll be crashing constantly and it'll be miserable to deal with and there'll be huge delays and maybe you're going to have to file for an extension because the system's not working and you know they're already... Um, talking about concerns that it could be overrun because so many people have interest in it. So if Intuit and TurboTax and all of these online filing alternatives are so great, then they're yeah, great. This will clear the market model. for them. Yeah, be better.
0: A superior model. Yeah. Have some
1: competitive prices. Don't spend all your money on federal lobbying to keep us all hostage to exist in this country without being audited. And, you know... Let's let's see it. Let's make it better because I would like pay a, more. I would pay like more. Elizabeth
0: Warren over there, Richie. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well. I mean, I
1: would pay more to go and get. I would pay a little, a small fee to go get my license renewed privately <laughs> and not have to deal with the DMV crap if that was an option. So I'd like yeah, to that see is, them that would be roll business. out something like that.
0: That would be a good business. I'm sure it exists in some states. All right. There was one other thing in the IRS IRS world that I want to mention is the Supreme Court in a unanimous decision in the case of Polselli versus IRS ruled that the IRS can access bank records of people they're investigating without letting them know. But that's not it. That's not all. They can access the bank records of those people's relatives and associates if They're in the process of undergoing a tax collection um, move. So essentially, what happens is, Ricky, if I didn't, um, if I am, you know, owed the IRS taxes or whatever, and they're trying to investigate to get that money back, my mom, you know, like my friends, my law firm in this case, Polselli's law firm was subject to this search. And uh, Polselli sued, and all nine justices of the Supreme Court ruled that the IRS may search not just you but people around you if they're trying to collect mm. taxes or search their bank records and they do not need to tell you that they did that which is fascinating
1: does it require a warrant process I
0: don't think so I think it's in the statute itself it's a pretty broad statute which is why this was a nine0 decision yeah. is that um, they can just go access these bank records but yeah I don't I don't believe they need a warrant and basically you know what happens is, and it is, it's understandable that the IRS should be able to access bank records. Most of the time, they have to let you know, though. The exception is if you owe them taxes uh, mm-hmm. and it's a collection uh, move. So none of this matters in a world where they're just like trying to poke around and figure out, like, hey, did Ricky actually pay the right amount of taxes? They still need mm-hmm. to let you know if they're investigating you in that way. But if you owe them money, basically all bets are off.
1: I hate it. I, I don't you know. Would. That's all I have to that's all I have to add. I mean, we need this is why we need liberty actual libertarians and not big government right and left appointees because if this is a unanimous, I don't know. I that's I think all I just have to say. To fix that I hate you.
0: You know me. I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty fond of big brother and big government on this kind of stuff, but I even I yeah, this is ridiculous agree. There's no there's no public good being served by this. You should just tell people that no. you're looking. Why can't you just tell people? Absolutely. I could not let this story go, Ricky. The ProPublica did an article about kids in high school paying for peer-reviewed articles to be published so that they can get into college. What? What? Give us the contours yeah. of this. This is an absolutely insane story.
1: Truly, this does not surprise me at all whatsoever. Having done the college application process at a boarding school recently and seeing all the crap that people do and all these things that they'll tack onto their resume. But um, there are around 20 programs that have recently had 12,000 students come through them, both American students, um, a lot of Chinese students as well. Um, and basically what they do is they pair a student with a mentor, which who could be a graduate student or a professor, and they spend a couple weeks, um, 10 to 15 weeks usually is how long these programs last working on a paper to publish a peer reviewed article so that when they go and apply for colleges, they, they can say, I'm a peer reviewed published, um, published scholar, which you're 17. So unless you're like a savant, that should not be the case. But if your family can afford to pay 2500 to $10,000 for this program, then you can pop that on your resume. And this is just responding to the fact that this is something that Ivy league schools have long talked about as a uh, A factor that they use in Harvard's um, admissions processes that were kind of leaked in the discovery process of this upcoming uh, Supreme Court case. This is something that they look into, whether someone's published. Um, At one point, a UPenn um, administrator said that one in three students that they accept are published, uh, peer-reviewed published authors. Um, And Yale, Columbia, and Brown all encourage submissions of any uh, publications that you might have. So basically... There's a If you can afford to pay for it, there's a way to put yourself in that pile and get that check off your... There's,
0: there's an absolutely hilarious anecdote in this article. I don't know if you know where I'm going to go with this, but it's Sophia? this Chick-fil-A piece. Yes, yeah, Sophia yeah. wrote a piece, no offense 17. to Sophia, because it's, it's the kind of paper I would have written in high school, but it <laughs> I wasn't getting published. But it was basically, I'm not even exaggerating. Her piece was essentially Chick-fil-A is kind of good. It was basically her mm-hmm. piece, and this gets published. She's like, oh, chicken sandwiches are great. Then this gets yeah. published, and it helps Sophia get into like prestigious colleges. And this is not a trivial thing. This is a representation of a broken system. We've, we've covered this, yeah. and we'll link in the show notes to the, we did a two-part series, one on the affirmative action case before Harvard, and another about just how broken the legacy admissions and general college admissions processes are. This is the kind of thing that happens when you move off of objective data and sensible criteria mm-hmm. for kids, like what's their GPA, what's their SAT score, uh, et cetera. You move off of that kind of stuff, which is predictable stuff that kids can know. All right, can I do this or can I not? They get a score they can compare to other people, right? When you move off of that kind of stuff and you do this so-called holistic admissions to say, what's this kid's character? Did they build houses in you know Ghana or whatever over the summer, right? that mm-hmm. kind of stuff can be gamed in a way that everybody says like hey like you know income correlates with sat scores or whatever but you still got to sit for that test and tell show them that you know how to do math right but you can get mm-hmm. people to write your letters of recommendation you can get people to write your your essays for you you could pay to go do service projects and now in just the most absurd version of this you can pay to get peer reviewed research published and this, to me, is just mm-hmm. a symptom of an absolutely broken system that's only going to get worse when the Supreme Court case comes down and rules against Harvard inevitably, and basically further incentivizes those schools to move off of standardized tests because those standardized tests expose their own discrimination. So we're going to have even fewer yeah. objective measures and more of this bullshit subjective stuff that can be gamed like this. All right, I'm I'm going off, but this stuff pisses me off. It's I think we said bullshit stupid, but it more in me this off.
1: one episode. <laughs> Both of us. It pisses me off. It pisses me off too. Because well, it's, it, w- it's
0: not trivial. It's not trivial, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I talked to my mom who, she went to Syracuse and she, no one told her how to apply to college and she just sort of did it herself and just set out applications and she didn't have a counselor. Her parents were like, whatever. Um, my grandmother didn't go to college and, you know, she got in and they were like, okay, cool, go, let's, let's do it. But versus me, like when I was at, and I know that the, I have what go to a foo-foo boarding school and all that stuff. I'm completely self-aware of that. But my school like sets me up with a counselor when I'm 16 and it's what's the strategy and what's your angle in and how are you going to differentiate yourself? And I have friends that are going to these ridiculous volunteerism things that they don't care about and they just show up to, like stand next to people building things for people <laughs> that they like local contractors. And they're just there to stand there and take their, their pictures and then put it on their application. And it like felt like such an insincere process and like such a factory. And it was all about forming a narrative around who you are as a person. And like we, it, it's just, it's just a bunch of bullshit. Like I truly, this is, I, this is not surprising to me in the slightest. You know, I have a I I mean, I did SAT prep. I know tons of people who poured tons of money into SAT prep and stuff, but that's at least something that is a little bit more actionable than, you know, Sophia, poor Sophia. I hope that they used a pseudonym for her, but you know, Sophia said, just from the taste, the company is destined for success. And her <laughs> her report is in the scholarly review for high school research, which is a preprint, which is a very important um, nuance here because to say that you're peer reviewed, but you're the preprint and the peer review means that this is really has not passed muster in the slightest. And when ProPublica talked to her, she didn't know the difference between preprint and like being fully published. And she said, quote, nowadays, having a publication is kind of a given. If you don't have one, you're going to have to make it up in some other aspect of your application, which I'm sorry, like when did 17 year olds become published authors? She also
0: said that uh, it didn't matter that it was a preprint because, quote, it's just important that there's a link out there. <laughs> Sounds it's, like a serious scholar. I'm sorry, Sophia. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. It's not her, her. fault. I, She's, she exists
1: in this. World. I mean, it, this is just what we've created for these kids, and it's it's teaching like the worst possible lesson that like who you are, or what you're actually interested in, right. isn't important. Um, it's also dem- like I I mean, we could have a much better world in which the SAT or the ACT is something more akin to the LSAT, which is just logic based. Unless do you have you gotten the the best possible yeah, education in trigonometry, yeah. or do you know like it could be knowledge based, and then we could supplement that with like SAT two tests that are subject based based on what Mm -hmm. you want to major in. But rather than teaching kids in high school that they should be exploring interests and deciding like what they'd like to be when they grow up or taking classes and experimenting and trying to find their path so that we could have a better, more kind of specific application situation, we're telling them to like concoct a narrative about themselves, to sell themselves. And it's cynical. It's teaching them all the wrong lessons. And yeah, I agree that this is not... I mean... You Photoshop your kid into a croup photo. You get a little peer-reviewed thing.
0: It's the equivalent of when people go deep-sea fishing. I have friends who do this and I make fun of them. They go deep-sea fishing and I I'm, I'm put quotes around it. And basically what they do is they get on a boat while somebody else catches a big fish and then they take a photo with the big fish. That's what's happening in this college admissions Michigan. And do they process. go to
1: Harvard because of it?
0: Yeah, well, some of them. But uh, no, it's that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of this. Yeah. Now you talk about what this could look like. So you talk about on the testing front, right? And and if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I don't like a world where standardized testing and GPA is the only measure. Fine. Like, w- what if you worked at McDonald's over the summer? What if you worked at the local hardware store? What if you were an apprentice at an actual like you know carpenters? You know, my my uncle was a contractor, for example. Um, um, when I was a kid, and like you know, if I, I he he fired me because I was terrible as a contractor as a apprentice, but let's say I spent the summers working for him, that's actually cool, right? That's like a real job, right? Like, and mm-hmm. the problem is you have to actually do the work to find out if you're going to take those things into account. You have to do the work to find out whether it's genuine. So if I'm putting on my, so even in a world where we're taking into account more blue collar trades, you know, like practical things, like a kid doing a summer job and still getting, or an after-school job and still getting good grades, like, that's impressive to me. If you work every day at McDonald's after school and you have good grades, that tells Mm -hmm. me you're more likely to be successful who has just good grades and didn't work at McDonald's, right? That's interesting to me. But you have to do the work to find out whether this kind of stuff is real or not. And the problem is there becomes this sprawl that happens whenever you start to take into account things that aren't objective. The industry starts to develop in and around these things to game it. So it's like a cat and mouse game between these college admissions officers and these families. And, you know, that's that's the downside to any of this kind of stuff. So this is, this is obviously egregious, but I, I think, unfortunately, you're going to see more and more of this kind of stuff as more and more schools move away from standardized tests.
1: Hey, this is Ricky. You've reached The Lost Debate. If you have some feedback for us, leave it after the town Should we listen to some voicemails?
0: All right. We have a voicemail about your favorite company, Ricky. Let's go to it.
2: Hey, Ricky and Ravi, this is Luke. I have a strong conviction that beliefs should be able to produce falsifiable predictions since it's one of the core philosophical underpinnings of the scientific method. That's why I was so pleased to see Ravi making a prediction about how long Linda Iaccarina would be the CEO of Twitter. Um, so I, I thought you might be interested to hear that the prediction markets on Manifold are currently saying there's about an 80% chance she'll be the CEO at the end of 2023 and about a 60% chance for the end of 2024. Also, I figured you might be interested to know that the prediction markets are currently saying there's about an 80% chance that the U.S. debt ceiling will be raised by the end of June. Okay, I'll I'll stop there. Uh, thanks for the podcast. Bye.
0: I love that line. You know, our beliefs should create falsifiable predictions. And I, Ricky, I suspect that if we just focus on this company, there's some predictions you made that didn't really stand up here around this free speech oasis that we were going to see here. And Twitter.
1: I had optimism. I didn't make any predictions. I was optimistic. Yeah, I right. was hopeful. But I yeah. like Luke. I think yeah, this is it's this good, is funny to me. to me. Luke well, really Luke, keep I showed up our, with the receipts. Yeah, keep Thank cl- you. keep
0: an eye on our our uh, our predictions and hold us accountable for them. Because honestly, <laughs> I know sometimes people listen and they think we're trying to skirt accountability. But we podcast so much that I forget what I've said before. So it does help. Yeah, you could you could remind us of predictions we made that are wrong, but also you know, maybe remind us the ones that are right. Like I I know sometimes we'll be doing a story. It'll be the fifth time we've covered something. And I can't even remember what we've said before. So it's not like a purposeful contradiction.
1: Well, we'll continue to watch the markets on your odds here. Maybe you can place your bets. Yes. Put your, put your money where your mouth is.
0: I think I was, I already, I already think I was too aggressive. I should have, It's. it still would have been a bold prediction to say by 20, end of 2023 or one year or whatever. I I got really carried away by saying, you August, were confident but we'll see. We still too. got a few months. We'll see. We still got a couple months. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back. What's today? Tuesday. We'll be back in a couple of days and uh, same time and place. Make sure to rate, review and subscribe. Say nice things about us. Tell your friends about us. That's how we grow this thing called Lost Debate and find more political eclectics out there. Thank you very much, everybody. Talk to you Thursday.
1: The Lost Debate is a part of The Branch Network. The show is produced by Mickey Ayoub, research support by Ariane Misra, video editing by Julia Waldman, and editing and sound design by Dean Metherill.